Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Our guest today is Dan Petresca, an attorney uh, from New Jersey who's worked a lot in sports betting cases. Dan Petresca, welcome to Gambling with an Edge. Gambling with an Edge. <laughs> it's early, Bob. <laughs> ah. Good morning, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. Good morning. So how did you get involved in gambling, which I assume was before you became a lawyer, but may not have been? That's correct. I did. Uh, I started actually in 1981. I guess I was a senior in high school at a place called Marist High School in Bayonne, New Jersey. And one of my locker mates uh, happened to have these football tickets. And I, he said, hey, are you interested in purchasing one of these? And I said, well, what type of tickets are they? And he explained to me they were parlay cards, basically. And that was my indoctrination into sports gambling. And, of course, uh, from there, I think it only goes on to bigger and better, as we say. So I uh, found that I had one of my neighbor's children happen to be a part-time bookmaker. And uh, needless to say, in New Jersey, uh, it's not very hard to find local bookmakers back in the 1980s. There was, seemed like there was, you know, probably uh, one on every other street corner. So it really made it very easy during my college years to be able to place a wager if I wanted to. And I think uh, that became the norm for most of my friends. And we would actually get together every Sunday morning at a local restaurant and with the morning paper, because uh, the New York Daily News, uh, New York Post always had all the football lines. So and we'd go over the games on Saturdays and Sundays. So it kind of became a regular thing for all of us. And I think that was probably part of the reason that uh, Senator Bradley ended up bringing Passport around eventually. All right. Um, would it get you in legal trouble if I ask you if any of I assume that was illegal at the time? I but, believe it was illegal at the time. I think that's fairly safe to say. But I think the statute of limitations has also run on that. What, 35 years? Is is that long enough for statute of limitations? All right, so let's go to PASPA. What was what was PASPA, and how did that change everything in um, for, 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 well, for sports betting? Well, obviously, um, there were laws that were before PASPA that, you know, was the, I guess the Wire Act was a preeminent one in 1961, as everyone knows, which had basically been put in place by uh, Robert Kennedy, to deal with organized crime. And from there, I think uh, in 1970, the IGBA was put in uh, put into place, which basically was the Illegal Gambling Business Act, which dealt with uh, three. There had to be uh, three violations. There had to be a violation of state law. There had to be five or more people working together. And there had to be three uh, 30. Uh, the third prong was continuous operation for 30 days or a gross revenue of 2000 on any day. And we'll get into it later as it affected poker. But that was really a premise behind what got uh, De Christina in trouble in the United States versus De Christina back in 2012. So the PASPA was put into place in 1992. Senator Bill Bradley introduced it. He sponsored the law, which is ironic because he is a former Nick and also went to Princeton. I think the idea was that New Jersey would vote to enact sports gambling uh, within a certain amount of time. There was a carve out in PASPA, which was going to allow 
any place with a land-based casino to go and have live sports gambling. And the one-year window was given to any state that had gambling previously. So I believe that was Delaware, Oregon, Montana, and Nevada uh, were all grandfathered in, and New Jersey had that specific carve-out. Unfortunately, the voters of New Jersey couldn't get their act together, and when it was placed on the ballot, uh, they declined to authorize sports betting. And then we got stuck in the gray area that we were in for a very long time, which led to Internet gambling. And and how did you get involved in all this? Well, I got involved in the late 90s uh, when a friend of mine uh, had started a offshore betting site. And he mentioned to me about he was uh, interested in seeing players and uh, come from the United States. And he was concerned about the legality of it. And when I looked at the legality of it, there was really not much that was dealing with offshore entities. So WSCX, as you may remember, was one of the first sports books out there. And I believe uh, one of the gentlemen actually went to jail because he, he was charged with, you know, authorizing gambling. He made the mistake of coming back to fight while I think his two cohorts decided not to come back to New York and he ended up doing some serious jail time as a result of that. So obviously, offshore gaming operators were very interested. There was a gentleman who ran Carib Sports out of Ohio, and he was concerned. And uh, he had looked me up, and he knew that I had an interest in gaming law. And we had many discussions on how he could avoid going to the uh, Huskow, so to speak. And I was uh, involved with Calvin Air. Calvin Air actually would consult with me. I think you remember Calvin Air, he started Bodog. And yes. Calvin consult with me from time to time regarding what I thought was the gray area that they could operate in. And at that time, it was pretty easy for people to get money offshore because in the late 90s, credit cards were still processing money to go offshore. Well, and also we had the advent of Net Teller, and in the beginning, PayPal would allow you to send money offshore, too. Maybe I jumped the gun a little bit. How did you first get involved in sports or in, in the legal aspects of gambling? Well, obviously, having grown up uh, in New Jersey, like I said, the gambling, I think, was just in everyone's blood, so to speak. Uh, you know, you couldn't go anywhere without people talking about sports gambling and Having become an attorney, uh, I certainly had a keen interest in it. I was in law school in Oklahoma in uh, 1992 when PASPA first came about. And uh, when New Jersey struck it down in 93, I think all my classmates joked to me that it looked like you're going to have to run for Senate from New Jersey uh, to be a senator from New Jersey so that you can help repeal this crazy law. Because the reality is there's an insatiable appetite in the United States for sports betting. Well, they were right. Um, okay, so a little bit up the line, how did UIGEA change things? Well, the UIGEA came about uh, as as part of the Port Act, and I believe in 2005 they made an attempt uh, under H.R. 4411 to expand the definition of banned online gaming, but they wanted to uh, allow games of skill to be exempt, and unfortunately – uh, the House could not really agree on what, what they were going to do as far as carving out exemptions. So the UIGEA basically became a catch-all 
And it was attached to the Port Act, which was interesting because the Port Act was really a terrorism act. And the idea was that it was going to stop terrorism. And at the last minute, it was added on by uh, Senator Bill Frith. Bill Frith, who was the Senate Majority Leader, who decided the only way the UIGEA could ever pass the Senate, if it became a rider to must-pass legislation. So, and unfortunately, Frist, by doing so, there was no debate about the bill. Under normal circumstances, the Senate would meet and they would have a full debate on whether or not to ban sports gambling. And uh, that never happened. And literally in the middle of the night, uh, on September 30, 2006, they were about to adjourn to end the session. It was right before the end of the session. And it became a rider to the Safe Port Act. So people woke up in uh, on October 1st, and all of a sudden, online gaming transactions were banned. So PayPal, NetTeller, any bank in the past, you know, as you may remember, Richard, in the early 2000s, you could go to your Chase Bank and you could wire some money to Bet Jamaica or Five Dimes or Pinnacle. And all those places were active and live. You could go to PokerStars, um, you know, Full Tilt. All those places would accept bank wires. UIGEA basically outlawed any sort of chance for you to be able to get money offshore. The only way you could do it from that point on was going to be through Western Union or MoneyGram. And then you're taking your chance as you're sending it to, you know, Mr. Jones down in Haiti, who's going to pick the money up and hope that you, when you call uh, that the account actually gets credited with the money. So that's really UIGEA really in a lot of ways put uh, most offshore gaming out of business and, as you may remember, Pinnacle was a big player in the U.S. Pinnacle had very good odds. I mean, they still are, are live, but they don't accept U.S. players. From my understanding, the owner of Pinnacle lived in the state of California. And there was an agreement between him and the Department of Justice, as I understand, where if he would stop accepting wages from U.S. players, there would be no indictment. So all of a sudden it became really the wild, wild west where People were shutting down sports books, cutting deals and, and and looking basically to get out of the U.S. market. Bet Jamaica was very active in the U.S. market for a year or two after. And the heat finally got to them and they had to step aside. And uh, I spoke to the owner of Bet Jamaica several times because he was trying to find some sort of way that he could keep his business and not end up in trouble. And I told him that, you know, I didn't think he could successfully do that without really having severe legal problems with the Department of Justice as they were going after everybody. And as you may remember, uh, Bet on Sports was showing up at Tampa Bay Buccaneers games with a giant, uh, a giant trailer and RV, and they were giving out free T-shirts and, and promos. So it, it really, I think, had gotten in the NFL's face and the league's faces. And I think that the league behind the scenes were using lobbyists to really try to push some sort of anti-gambling act. They also um, froze NetTeller and PayPal got out of sending money and, and NetTeller, they froze everyone's assets. It you know was really a scary time for a lot of people who had a lot of money tied up uh, in NetTeller and didn't know if they were going to get it back. But it was – but – I was surprised also that poker a number of the poker sites did not shut down like full tilt um I I think poker stars did stop they were one of the first right to stop taking US players um but a, a number of the big ones did not and why did they think they could get away with that 
I think they really looked at PASPA as being a sports betting act because really it dealt with PASPA really was about sports, sports betting. And the UIGEA, I think they kind of looked at as an extension of PASPA, almost as a way that the government could shut down all these sports betting websites. And I think that's really why um, UIGEA was so successful in doing that with the sports betting sites, because it really seemed to be targeted more towards sports betting. And I think the poker uh, poker sites like Full Tilt, they all wanted to kind of stay in this gray area. And they said, well, you know, we're not gambling because it really PESPA really deals with, with gambling. UIGEA really deals with sending money offshore for gambling or sending money to sites for gambling. You know, well, you know, there's an argument to be made that poker is a game of skill. You know, I think Bob's proven that for years. Poker is a game of skill. So, well, I played video yeah. poker, which is quite different than uh, than poker. But none, nonetheless, I, I think anyone would argue that somebody who is skilled at assessing poker odds and poker value will do certainly much better than someone who's just saying, I'm just going all in, you know, uh, playing no hold them, fold them, uh, no fold them, hold them. I'm sorry. So either way isn't very successful. All right. Um. Chris Christie was governor of uh, New Jersey for a while. How did he get involved with online sports betting? Well, it goes a little bit before Chris Christie in that um, the, the Union City mayor was a guy named Rudy Garcia. And Rudy Garcia really is a name that probably in the sports gambling world people don't know. And I happen to know Rudy pretty well. Back in the day, we had cases together and uh, he was working for the law firm Wiener Lesniak. Raymond Lesniak is a senator from the state of New Jersey. Now, some some background on Raymond Lesniak. As a kid, he used to carry bets for his father to the local corner store in New Jersey, you know, to make wagers on sports or to do the daily numbers. Before there was a lottery, of course, you know, people used the the last three numbers from Aqueduct as the local handle. That would be your three digit numbers. And uh, so I think Ray Lesniak was involved in that. And. Rudy Garcia was a guy who happened to work for Ray. Well, Rudy is sitting in a bar one day talking about sports betting to some of his friends in this bar in Union City and saying, I'm going to see my bookie in a little while after I finish my drink and going to put in a few wages for this weekend's NFL games. So his friends happen to say, boy, that's that sounds great. I would love to be able to get a few games down. Um, could you take some bets for me? So Rudy, being a good guy, allegedly, uh <laughs> That word allegedly uh, took a few took a few wagers and passed them passed them along. Unfortunately, when he did that, he happened to be caught in a sting that they had set up just for just about that time. And he was one of the many people who were arrested that night and um, ruined his political career. Thankfully, he didn't ruin his law career, but and he was eventually exonerated of all charges but that got ray lesniak's attention and raymond lesniak was really the person who was instrumental in trying to get a legalization of sports gambling in new jersey and i would see ray uh every year at the new jersey state bar convention down in atlantic city i would say ray when are we going to get this legalized when i saw what happened to rudy when are we going to do this i'm a guy from bayonne you know it's a place where you know Internet gambling in Hudson Hudson County became a hotbed because it, they were putting out the organized uh, the organized crime uh, figures out of business. And 
now it's time for you to legalize it so the state can actually make some money on it. And if you've ever stepped foot in New Jersey, you may know we have some of the highest property taxes, you know, I think in the world, let alone the country. And so New Jersey's always looking for a good way to monetize uh, anything. And I said to Ray, it would be perfect for taxing. And he said, you know, I want to help Rudy out. He said, I think it's about time. He said, what do you think of PASPA? And I said, well, honestly, I said, I think PASPA should be unconstitutional. I don't know how the U.S. government can pass something like that that basically takes away the state's rights to make their own laws. The, uh, under the Tenth Amendment, there's an anti-commandeering clause, which basically says that the federal government cannot take over the, uh, where the state's rights are to make law. And that's what PASPA really did. PASPA basically said to states, you're not going to be able to, unless you're grandfathered in, you're not going to be able to do it. So it, in some respects, it affects interstate commerce as well, in my opinion. So uh, it was definitely unconstitutional. And Ray Lesniak said to me, he said, you know what? He goes, I've heard that before from somebody else I asked. He said, I think you're right. And he says, I'm going to take it up with Chris Christie. Now, as an interesting side note, Chris Christie's son, Patrick, happens to play ice hockey and my son, Andrew, happened to play against him. So I would see Chris Christie at a at a rink in Morristown, New Jersey, you know, four times a year. And whenever I would saw Chris, I would bang on that door and say, hey, Chris, like it's going to be time. He said, yeah, he said that I don't think the timing's right. I don't think the timing's right. I said, well, if you ask Ray Lesniak, the timing is right. And uh, Ray Lesniak introduced a bill and Chris Christie initially had vetoed it. And upon further review about a year later, he realized that Ray Lesniak was going to have plenty of support in the legislature to override Chris Christie's veto. Well, once he realized that, um, I think Governor Christie had to give second thought to the legalization of sports betting. And I think a lot of the senators in New Jersey were looking at it and saying, hey, you know, this is going to be a great way that we can monetize with tax money. You know, people are doing it anyway. Let's take it out of the shadows of the offshore. Let's take it out of the shadows of the corner bookie. You know, and one of Ray Lesniak's big arguments was that when you go and allow people to bet with a corner bookie, they incur debt. They're betting money they don't have. And I think we'd all agree that problem gambling can start there, certainly when people incur debt that they don't have. And uh, so I think that was something that Chris Christie had looked at very closely and when the governor saw that, he gave it a second thought and said, let me go and, you know, change my mind, reverse my position. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to authorize sports gambling. Well, of course, you know, that didn't work because PASPA basically prohibited sports gambling. Uh, New Jersey had their chance in the early 90s. And like I said, they did nothing about it. I think. There was the closing of Rebel Casino as well as the showboat in Atlantic City. And I believe uh, Trump Taj Mahal uh, was closing as well. And in seeing all those jobs fall out of Atlantic City, the governor realized this might be a great way to just revitalize Atlantic City. So I think that that really got Governor Christie to come back and start Christie versus the NCAA and the sports leagues. And that's really what brought about the initial lawsuit. All right, let's let's change subject a little bit. Um, Phil Ivey's cases have been of great interest to our listeners. Most of our listeners think that edge sorting or the casino 
is the only one that touches the card should be quite legal. So um, he lost apparently at Crockford's and Borgata. And is that finally over? Is that established law or what? Well, I think it is finally over. I think in Crockford's, uh, when that that was brought up, uh, the lady justice over there asserted the Gambling Act of 2005 provided uh, in that act that says an individual may cheat unintentionally without dishonesty, but it's still cheating. And in the ruling that I believe she made over in the UK, that the actions of Ivy and his accomplice uh, Kelly Yin's son interfered with the op operation of the game now when you look at how it was set up it's almost unbelievable that the borgata didn't realize just what was going on because it, it's it, you know as you read the case and, and you read the opinions from the court it seems pretty clear that you know mr ivy had certainly made some suggestions about his superstitions and that's why he wanted the cards turned but it was the Gemico cards, as we know, that, you know, I believe cards six through nine had a slightly different uh, were, were going to be the cards that would be most advantageous for Baccarat. And if that was going to be the first card that came up, then you'd bet on player. And if not, you'd bet on banker. So it gave him about a six percent or so edge, I believe, over the house where normally the house would have a one percent edge in Baccarat. Um, I know that Borgata didn't really figure it out for an awful long time. I believe it was almost a year before they they figured it out. And I, I guess you have to wonder where was the pit boss in all this that nobody was <clears throat> nobody was looking at it, you know, it, when he certainly made, you know, several requests and I know Borgato was eager to take on Phil Ivey's bankroll, but at the end of the day, you, you have to say you know, what was going on here when he I think he requested a private pit. He requested a guest. He requested only Gemico cards be used. He requested an automatic uh, shuffler and a dealer who spoke, I believe, uh, Cantonese. So and, you know, to me, I don't know, as as a layperson, I that would seem like an awful lot that he was requesting. But Borgata was happy to get a shot at his bankroll. And obviously um, Borgata had filed the lawsuit uh, after realizing after realizing that, you know, Phil Ivey had used an advantage. And to me, I don't know if it should be considered illegal because he used an advantage. He he dictated what he wanted the rules of the game to be. And those were the rules. If if I come to Bob's house and we're playing in a poker game uh, and Bob says, you know, all threes are going to be wild all night. Well, I guess all threes are wild. I guess those are the rules that that's been dictated. And if everybody agrees to it, those are the rules. So I don't necessarily agree that uh, Phil Ivey should have had a judgment against him, but certainly the court seemed to have thought otherwise. Um, it's my understanding that the case is now settled for an undisclosed amount, but having done litigation my whole career, I would guess that they probably settled for somewhere between 40 and 60 percent of the of the amount. And uh, more than likely, I would say it's probably 40 percent of the amount that Phil had won probably went back just to put this litigation to the end uh, because, you know, litigation is expensive. And the reality is, I think Borgata would like this over as much as anybody else. So and that's why it did resolve. But so what is the what is the state of the law in New Jersey for if someone were to do this in the future? Is well, it illegal? 
I think under the Casino Control Act, it would appear that it would be illegal. It would be in violation of the Casino Control Act. You know, but I know uh, the judges in their opinions certainly said one must, you know, beg the question that's not really been answered. Why did Borgata even let them dictate the rules the way they did? Because that's what Borgata did. Borgata let them really dictate how the game flow was going to go, and then they agreed to bank it. So, but I think the Casino Control Act, unfortunately, is really skewed to favor the house. Um, it, it's just a fact of life. It's it's designed to favor the casino, and the casino c- can call this cheating. It's really advantage play. I don't see it as cheating. It's advantage play, you know. And the fact that no one said to this dealer, uh, you know, the eye in the sky, I presume, was working at the time. Nobody said to this dealer, "Hey, why are you turning certain cards?" Because they say they're superstitious. You know, and obviously with an automatic shuffler, the cards would never be returned again. So uh, it would make it pretty easy. And it, I think the court has looked at it and said that this has happened four times. I don't think we'll see this happen again because I think that casinos aren't going to be so gullible. Um, this also happened, you know, I believe also at the Golden Nugget in Atlantic City. Well, you know, I mean, the thing that's crazy about this is before this happened uh, – Ivy and Son had played in Australia, Macau, Las Vegas, London. Um, Bill Zender had written about it, and yet the Borgata still gave them these conditions. I mean, like, are they running a casino? Or, or like, does anybody who works there know anything about how casinos work? And just the whole story just seemed crazy to me. But but it, what really bothers me the most is that, you know, this is how casinos now free roll the players. If you lose, great. If you win, we're going to sue and try to get the money back. Or we just won't pay you in the first place. Correct, which is what Crockford did. Uh, right. That they, did, they didn't pay Bill in the first place. He was smart enough to have his money wired from Borgata, you know, in four different times to a bank in Mexico. And then God knows where it went from there. But certainly, you know. He maneuvered well enough, and obviously he was advised by counsel well enough that he was able to do that. Would you guess he settled at Crockford's and got some of that money, or Crockford's kept it all? I think Crockford's kept it all because they had uh, such a favorable ruling from Lady Justice Arden that they had no reason to make any settlement offer with him. It doesn't seem like anyone was really willing to take that case on over there um, just based on – what was ruled and you have to understand when when there's rulings and orders and just jumping back to PASPA for a second that's kind of what got PASPA back on track to go to the Supreme Court was because in Christie 1 there was uh, a ruling from Judge Fuentes that made the governor realize that there was actually an open window to get back in there so and like I said Lady Justice Arden had basically made it very clear that she was not going to allow it, and she was going to put it under the category of unintentional dishonesty, and therefore Crockford's would never have to pay. All right, changing subjects. In uh, 2018, there was a football game between uh, Oakland Raiders and Denver Broncos, and FanDuel made a pricing error that some players jumped on. What do you know about that? Well, I actually was uh, hired by two gentlemen who had also 
made uh, the same wager. The primary guy who got all the newsprint was a guy named Anthony Prince, so I can certainly use his name. I'm not at liberty to disclose the names of my guys, but I'll just call them Mike and Chris. Uh, and they certainly weren't the guy, Mike and Chris from WFAN uh, fame. But Mike and Chris happened to make wagers as well on that, um, and they were substantial enough that they were looking at payouts, you know, of the in the you know five figure range, low five figure range, but still five figure range. Um, there was an 18 second window where, when the Broncos got the ball back, as I understand, they were down by two points. They received the ball back around their 10, 10 yard line or so, and proceeded to march downfield. And there was an 18 second window where the odds were plus 750. Um, I think most people would look at that, and you know, if I were certainly putting odds on that game. You know, with the Broncos having the ball less than two minutes to just get into field goal range, I would I would guess it's probably somewhere around a minus 200 favorite, not a plus 750 dog. But these gentlemen were smart enough to, you know, put significant sums on it on the thought that Brandon McManus could kick that field goal. And that's what exactly happened. <clears throat> FanDuel, of course, when uh, my clients went to the window, FanDuel declined to pay. And they were told there was a pricing error and your tickets are void and we're just going to give you a refund. My clients said, no, we'll just take the tickets back. We don't want the refund. And uh, one of them, actually, the the uh, cashier did not want to give the ticket back. He said, it's just going to be a souvenir for me. You know what I mean? And because he knew the value in getting that ticket back. Once he got the ticket back, he was able to reach out to me and uh, mention it to me. I was actually supposed to go on a local news station with my client uh, on uh, an evening, probably about a week and a half, two weeks afterwards. And FanDuel had called and said that they wanted to just get the case resolved. They thought it was in their best interest being new to the New Jersey market to really not look like they were poor sports about the whole thing. I think for them, it was going to be a uh, really just a marketing, a marketing ploy that they could show some goodwill by paying off on a bad bet. But I think that, uh, if this happened in Nevada, as I understand Nevada law, that uh, they would not have to be paid. So I think that I think it's interesting in Nevada because I think that the Nevada Gaming Commission has an out for errors that are, you know, palpable errors, as they're called. So and this would clearly be a palpable error. But because New Jersey's gaming is in such a young state, I think FanDuel and the Casino Control Commission didn't really have uh, any sort of out for FanDuel, and rather than have it be decided against them by New Jersey Gaming, they thought it was just best to just pay. Um, so you you were willing to um, take a case like this. Do you take cases where uh, – so there's an attorney, I don't know if you're familiar here in Nevada, uh, Bob Nersessian, who uh, handles cases for uh, – advantage players that get their basically their civil rights violated by the casinos. Um, do you take those kinds of cases in New Jersey? You mean if they, as if they got back, if they got back roomed, dragged into the back room, handcuffed, um, you know, sometimes they get beat up. I mean, a absolutely. That would be a wrongful imprisonment uh, first and foremost, probably if not an assault on top of that. And, you know, we haven't seen a lot of those in New Jersey. Um, New Jersey is more of a place where they'll just back you off and just say, don't deal another hand. Um, well, they'll also come up with an excuse to say you're drunk and disorderly or 
you created a scene, even if you didn't, and use that as an excuse to bar you from the premises. Correct. Yes, they'll find some excuse to bar you, and if you get trespassed, obviously, you know, once you're 86, you're 80, you're 86. And I've had a, I've had a couple of cases like that where people have been 86. And um, what, one of the cases was interesting. There was a young lady who had met one of my clients at a blackjack table, and she didn't happen to have ID on her. And, you know, she was probably 15 to 20 years younger than him, but she was of age. She just didn't have her ID, and he's a counter. And they pulled him off the game, arrested him and said, you know, you're here with someone who's suspected of being underage, pulled him off the game and, uh, you know, held his chips. He got it. He got his money eventually, but he was basically uh, trespassed from the casino. Was that rescinded once they found out that she was of age or? Yes, it was rescinded. It was rescinded eventually, but it was uh it was a lot of legwork and unfortunately a lot of cost to my client that he probably didn't have to bear because really he was just a card counter who's, you know, happens to be in his late forties and the girl happened to be about 22 or 23, as I recall. So, um, so I'm not really sure if it was because he was counting or if they really thought she was underage, but merely cause she couldn't get an ID. They both got back roomed and, uh, he and my client, it's interesting because they let her go, but my client ended up getting arrested because my client, I guess, got a little loud and they thought he was uh, they, they they charged him with the disorderly conduct. Just a way to make it inconvenient so that, you know, you won't be welcomed back. All right. We have more questions for Stan Petresca following some commercial announcements. The South Point has more than 10,000 games returning at least 99%. This is more such games than anyone else has. In August, play $1,800 on slots or video poker Monday through Thursday and pick up a free gift. The first week, it is a logo toiletry bag. If you earn and pick up all four gifts, you receive $100 in free play. Although the gifts are better than average for casino gifts, even if you value them as being worth zero, earning and collecting all of them is worth an additional 1.4%. For locals, there is a Play X and Earn Y promotion every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if they have your email address. If you haven't given them their, your email address yet, you can do it online at southpointcasino.com club and you can be eligible for this promotion. If you do it by any Wednesday, you'll be eligible for the following weekend and each subsequent weekend for the month. This is for locals only. I have seen the offer for those who get the top award of $75 a week as a, as a mailer. For these people, they need to play $750 and if they do, they get $150 of free play. This is a heck of a deal on top of games that are worth over 99%. Hey, guys, this is Colin from BlackjackApprenticeship.com. And if you're serious about card counting, I'd encourage you to check out the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. It has the training tools you'll need to beat the game, like our comprehensive video course and our training suite, so you can learn each skill and virtually test yourself before ever stepping foot in a casino. It also includes the tools you'll need to succeed, like our pro betting software, 
casino database, results tracking software, and access to a community of like-minded advantage players to network with in our members forum and chat room software. You can find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. Videopoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. Game of the week is Max Action Poker, where you pay six to 10 coins per line and all the pay schedule categories from three of a kind and higher are bumped. You get a more valuable game the more coins you play. You also get more variants. It will require learning an entirely new strategy. And since flushes and straights pay so much more than what you're used to, your intuition will be way off on how to play these hands. It will not be a particularly difficult as existing video poker software is fully capable of creating the strategy for you, but you do need to go through the effort if you're going to play this game well. All right, we are back talking with uh, attorney Stan Petruska, William Hill, and others books had a problem with online or in-stream betting where they accept the bets if it goes against the players and they refuse the bet if it goes in the players favor so what do you know about this well it's for many years and it really started offshore it's been the ultimate advantage play for the house because what the house would often do uh in many of these places they would have live wagers where you could actually bet on the next play. So in football games, you could bet, would it be a pass for a gain? Would it be a rush for a gain or what it would be? And it was uncanny how oftentimes if you placed a wager on a run and it was a run, your bet wouldn't be accepted. However, the people who bet on pass somehow would be accepted. So the losing bets were always accepted. And I understand that Bill Krakenberger and Rufus Peabody have really brought this, uh, brought this to the forefront. And I think it's important because at the end of the day, the spinning wheel is uh, often used as an excuse by the house to delay wagers. And uh, while I personally haven't seen William Hill do it, I have seen it many a time at offshore sports books. And I've had people contact me to try to recoup funds because they've made wagers that, it, you know, one wager would just disappear. Some some offshore sports books years ago literally the winning option would disappear or be frozen, but the losing option, it would go through. So I think that it's really more than just a technology and it's something that we really need to police better because right now there's no one who's actually policing the live betting other than the players themselves. Uh, what about, you know, in New Jersey, they're not allowed to bar card counters, but they are apparently barring sports bettors. So I'm sure you're familiar with Spanky's videos of him being thrown out of sports books. Why are they allowed to do that? Well, the, under New Jersey law, they have the right to bar service to anyone. Uh, so if uh, they see Bob coming in, heading for a video poker machine, they could say, I think I recognize you. Uh, thanks for stopping by and escort him to the door. They don't have to allow him to gamble. Uh, in New Jersey, it's almost viewed more as a privilege rather than a right, kind of like a driver's license. What about for card counters, though? They can't well, do that to card counters. And I, I don't know if there's really clear law on why they can do it. I think that basically they 
just don't do that with card counters because there's been so much backlash over time with people who are card counting. And, you know, I think what they do is really they'll just back you off, you know, or what they'll do is they'll flat bet you. So, you you know, whatever your wager is, what your wager is. Of course, interestingly enough, that's what happened with Phil, Phil Ivey. They were flat betting him when he was uh, betting in his uh, situation at Borgata. Unfortunately, they were flat betting him at the house maximum. You know, unfortunately for Borgata, which really didn't work out. So, but uh, once they do that to you, obviously most advantaged players would just get up and walk away. It's it, it's the same as any other back off, really. All right, Super Bowl this year had a streaker wager. Um, what happened? So the Super Bowl streaker was uh, a Florida gentleman uh, named Yuri Andrade, who had made a wager at Bavada at plus 750 odds that uh, there would be a streaker at the Super Bowl. He knew he was going to be at the Super Bowl. So he called up all his friends and told everybody, bet on the streaker prop. It's going to be a winning prop. You know somebody's going to streak. And, of course, having made a $50,000 wager – he thought it was probably in his best interest to be at the game to make sure a streaker did hop on. And I guess by late in the game, when it was apparent that no one was going to streak, Mr. Andre decided he was just going to jump on the field and be that streaker. Unfortunately, he was foolish enough to admit this uh, online and in several phone calls. And once that revelation became public, uh, Bovada had, you know, reasonably held up his money. And the reason they held up the money is because it's against public policy to allow people to make wagers and then affect the games. I, I mean, could you imagine if in a Major League Baseball game, if Max Scherzer's throwing a no-hitter into the eighth inning and and he's only thrown 70 pitches and I have $20,000 against Max Scherzer, well, I guess I could just jump on the field and tackle Max Scherzer and make sure he gets out of the game. So, it, it, you know. We don't want to cer- certainly encourage that behavior. So I think that's really why the wager was voided. And I think any such wagers like that made in the future would be voided. And I think that Bavada probably learned their lesson. Maybe we shouldn't be offering something like that, that uh, someone could actually affect the outcome of the wager. Well, but every year they have. How long is the national anthem going to play? Gonna gonna take to do the song, and clearly the singer, if well, it doesn't have to be a singer, but usually it's a singer, has control over that, and yet that continues to go on. Yeah, but if the singer were to, you know, put on a tweet, "Hey, everybody, I'm gonna make sure I go over," you know, go over, then I'm sure they would negate all the bets, right? As Stan pointed out the guy was an idiot and posted it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever that he had done it. Right. And it's no different, no different than it. If, uh, you know, obviously Richard, you're the blackjack expert here. Certainly if, you know, you decided to post after every time you had a successful outing many years ago, if you decided to post that on Facebook or Twitter, I'm sure you would have been backed off uh, a lot quicker in a lot of places. Especially since Twitter wasn't around when he started uh, winning at Blackjack. That would have been an amazing accomplishment. 
Okay. Uh, somewhat related to uh, streaking as it involves uh, body parts, there was a uh, wrongful termination for using surveillance at Caesars to look at women's body parts. What do you know about that? Well, that was a gentleman named Robert Swan, who I guess he was involved in surveillance and was uh, working a graveyard shift in October 2004 uh, with along with uh, three other surveillance officers. <clears throat> and uh, it was put before the New Jersey Casino Control Commission, and they found no evidence that there was anything in the gaming regulations that violated what he was doing. However, Caesars. I think thought it was wise to just terminate all of the surveillance workers, uh, basically saying that they had used the surveillance cameras for, uh, let's just say, inappropriate means. And uh, so Swan filed a lawsuit against the casino in 2006, claiming he was wrongfully terminated. Um, and he basically stated that Caesars created a false impression. He was, and I quote, a pervert who abused his position as a surveillance officer and use surveillance cameras to leer at and stalk females on the casino floor. And I end quote. That was Swan's argument uh, that Caesars had done that and obviously made it very difficult for him to get another surveillance position, surprisingly. Um, obviously, he was thrown out of court because uh, he was considered an at-will employee and an at-will employee can be fired for any reason. He's not under contract. They can make any determination whether he's late for work or whatever he does. And I think this this was probably a little bit more severe than just being late for work. I believe Caesars also had to uh, pay a fine to the New Jersey Casino Control Commission of one hundred eighty five thousand. And there was actually a previous incident where they paid an eighty thousand dollar fine when it was revealed that they had two other surveillance officers who were working in Caesars who were uh, training their cameras on women's low-cut necklines. So uh, hopefully Caesars has gotten some better policies in-house now for their surveillance. Okay, yeah, I said Caesars Palace. This is obviously Caesars World. Um, we had a surveillance guy from Las Vegas on very recently, and he said now all employees get told up front, do that and you're fired. And so there's no doubt in anyone's mind whether they can um, get away with uh, getting off. So um, very good. We have gone through our questions. Was there anything you wanted to say uh, before we get to the recommendations that we have passed over too quickly? Just just one other thing. I think it's interesting to look at the state of online poker right now. Um, what just what's going on? I think uh, basically right now, poker is kind of in a state of flux. You know, we have uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, I believe, are in a multi-state compact to do online poker together to, to group it together. Um, but it seems like the uh, there will be no federal regulation anytime soon, which I know a lot of people have been hoping for. I know in uh, USA versus Lawrence D. Christina, that was a case from 2010 to 2011 that this gentleman was running a poker operation out of the back of his bicycle shop in Staten Island. <clears throat> well, probably the most successful bike shop uh, on the island, I would say. 
And uh, he did it for about five months. And I know that uh, it was interesting at the district court level, Judge Jack Weinstein basically had said poker is a game of skill. It's not a game of chance. He relied on uh, a Bates White attorney, Randall Hebe, uh, research, which was done uh, extensively. And he ruled that poker was a game predominated by skill and therefore did not fit the definition of gambling under the IGBA of 1970. Now, as you're probably aware, that was overturned the the uh, conviction was reinstated. It was overturned by Judge Weinstein because at the trial level, he was found guilty. Judge Weinstein at the appellate level overturned it, reversed it, finding it's not a game of skill. And that really seemed uh, that it was a game of skill. And that really seemed like a, a big hope for online gambling, that we thought we'd have online poker back in full force. Uh, unfortunately, it was reversed. Uh by a higher judge and sent back to Judge Weinstein, the Supreme Court declined to hear the poker case upon certiorari. So we're kind of in a state of flux. But what was really interesting was that when it was sent back to Judge Jack Weinstein, he was supposed to sentence him. Uh, he sentenced Mr. D. Christina to one year of unsupervised probation and gave him a $100 fine. So I think we know that Judge Weinstein probably is a fan of uh, advancing poker interests. And I think that uh, although we won't see it anytime soon, I think it's unmistakable that there's an appetite for online poker. And I believe the states that have it now, you know, are really looking to expand their base. And by entering into multi-state agreements, I think that that's really going to be the way of the future. Well, one of the casino owners in Las Vegas, Sheldon Adelson, was strongly against online poker, and he passed away six months ago. Uh, so the, the casino's lobbying organization, whose name escapes me at the moment, American Gambling Association, I don't, maybe, um, well, Adelson was on the board there, so they were not coming out in favor of online poker as long as he was on the board. Do you have any insight as to how that might change now that Adelson is no longer relevant? Yeah, Adelson had the coalition to stop Internet gambling that he was really ramping up uh, because I think he was it was really protectionist on his behalf uh, in that he thought that certainly his casinos were going to be affected and that bricks and mortar casinos would be affected. But the reality is uh, the person in Montana on a Tuesday night who wants to get involved in a poker game just doesn't have the luxury to fly to Las Vegas or Atlantic City to go get in into that. And I know the Pokers Player Alliance was, you know, strongly against Adelson, but obviously they were not funded as well as Adelson. So that was really the, uh, I guess, a bigger issue. And I think it's important to note that with Mr. Adelson no longer with us, I think there will be a groundswell eventually for more and more states to license poker. I believe West Virginia is coming online and Connecticut will be coming online soon uh, if they haven't done so already by the time this airs. So I, I do think there's a groundswell. Unfortunately, it's a lot slower because I think sports betting people can look at and say, it's easy to see uh, a game on a, a, an NFL Sunday or Monday that you want to put a wager on, but not everyone plays poker. 
And uh, while we may have an interest in playing poker and other people may have an interest in playing poker, it doesn't have the majority that sports betting does. And as we see today, it's dominated on TV. We see lines for every every game. There's odds on everything. You hear USA loses to Nigeria. They were a 30 point favorite. You know, you can't escape sports betting. Poker doesn't have the benefit of that. You know, poker doesn't have that in your face where people who are not sports bettors will still go and and see those lines online and they may be intrigued by that poker doesn't have that advantage and and unfortunately we lost a good friend to the poker game bob sexton you know uh not not too long ago and i think that mike uh, sexton mike sexton i'm sorry mike sexton he was a he was a great ambassador for poker and you know i think if he were still with us, he would certainly be able to help us advance the game some more. And I think we need more people like that who can really push the game forward. Unfortunately, with everything that happened on Black Monday, we really um, saw poker take a big step back. Thank you, Stan Petruska. It's very interesting. Um, at the end of our shows, we have a recommended section. Richard, do you have anything for us today? Sure. I've just um, uh, binged uh, six seasons of Downton Abbey. Uh, It's a fantastic show. You know, back when it first started, I think it was on PBS, and uh, I remember it garnering all these Emmy Awards, but I had never watched it. And I uh, finally did, and it was fantastic. And as I say, I binged through six seasons of it. But it also reminded me, if you watch this show uh, and like it, there's a really, really good Robert Altman movie called Gosford Park, which is uh, also about kind of the servants in a in a big uh, home like this. So it's the servant life of the, you know, super wealthy. Um, so anyway, yeah, those are my recommendations. Downton Abbey and Gosford Park. What speed did you watch binge Downton Abbey? Were you at 1.5 or? No, I watched it at normal speed. Yeah. I I loved it. I thought it was great. That that took you a long time. All right. For me, uh, I recently finished a a novel by uh, Daniel Silva called The Other Woman. Silva writes thrillers whose protagonist is both an art restorer and works for Israeli intelligence. This particular book imagines that infamous double agent Kim Philby, who was a British intelligent agent who also worked for the Soviets. He had an illegitimate daughter who is now following in Philby's footsteps. At the end of the book, the author explains how much is fact and how much is fiction. It is quite interesting. So, Stan Petruska, do you have a recommended for us? I do. A great book I read uh, recently was Tales from the Pit, which is a book by David Schwartz on UNLV Gaming Crest. It's casino table games managers in their own words, as told to David Schwartz. Uh, as, as we all know from having been in casinos before, there's certain challenges uh, for everyone who works in a casino because patrons aren't always the most pleasant. Uh, sometimes you see incredible roles at the craps table where somebody holds the dice for 45 minutes. And uh, there's a lot of lot of great reading there. I highly recommend that book. I think for anyone who's ever been to a casino, has an interest in gaming, I think it's certainly enjoyable read. It is. Uh, David uh, was a guest on our show 
possibly we will have the link to you in the notes. Uh, I'm giving Richard some homework, which he didn't know I was going to do. But uh, he was a guest uh, sometime back about that book, and it was, uh, and we both read it and enjoyed it. All right. So thank you very much, Stan. Thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day.